Welcome everyone to our Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Whitbeck, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and I have with me Jeff Powell. Jeff, great to see you today. Uh, good morning. So, and Jeff is our managing partner and chief investment officer. And so, Jeff, uh, a lot of interesting and perhaps for some viewers, not so interesting things happening in the market where uh, this is the time of the year where we talk about June gloom, especially those that are in the uh, the western part of the U.S. Obviously, trading volume lowers, and we start seeing different uh, patterns sometimes emerge in the market. Can you talk a little bit about why the saying of "go away" in Maine uh, is there? Why it's sometimes repeated, and what that's referring to? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, well, maybe we should bring everybody up to speed who's not on the West Coast that doesn't know what June gloom really means in uh, in real life, which is it's the time of the year where fog rolls in on the West Coast. So we'll have uh, gloomy mornings and then the, the fog will finally burn away uh, in the afternoon. But uh, it's where we laugh about the tourists coming to California, not knowing uh, that June and July can be very cold months of the year in uh, not only the Bay Area, but also uh, in the LA, Orange County area as well, where lots of fog uh, rolls in. And people have tried to kind of tie that to the markets that, you know, kind of like uh, this, they kind of cool off. Uh, they're not really doing a huge amount. Um, and if you look at from a seasonal basis, uh, historically, uh, May, June, July, you know, even into uh, the latter parts of, of uh, the summer, early uh, into the fall tend to be the weakest parts of the market. Um, you know, if you go over it from a historical standpoint, um, it's pretty interesting to, to look at, uh, you know, the, the five months of the year that are uh, the weakest. And so uh, really we're in that time period, although uh, as we speak right now, markets are up slightly and we're right at all time highs in the S&P 500. So as much as the markets have been very Kind of flat over the last few months we are still trending up in general uh but that's really what we're talking about when we talk about selling may and go away you're talking about selling a may uh first and coming back september 30th and uh taking a nice long vacation from the markets uh and then the june gloom is just kind of talking again about how things are a little bit you know slower with people going on vacations and volume going down and things of that nature yeah, and Jeff, on that note, um, that's something that we'll sometimes get a lot of questions about is should an investor really just literally sell out of everything and go away in May and then come back in the market? Um, I guess, what are your thoughts? Is that a winning strategy? Is that missing the mark? Um, any guidance or advice you'd give there? Well, I would love to take a five-month vacation. So if, if we're going to, we're going on that one, um, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, uh, we'll probably have to put the podcast on on hold for a few months while I travel. Uh, well, I guess I'm not going to be able to travel much of the world because we're still dealing with COVID uh, abroad more than here. But uh, nonetheless, I'm going to find some other ways of spending my time. But you know, all jokes aside, I mean, yes. I mean, if you were going to look at uh, stacking the seven months that are on five months off uh, type of strategy from a historical standpoint, uh, the returns are astronomical uh, and difference between those time periods. The issue is that there have been far too many times in which had you sold in May and gone away, you would have missed out on a huge opportunity within the markets, uh, the recovery and so on. So 2019 and 2020 would be great examples of how the markets continue to run 
uh, even in the weaker months historically of the market. So uh, what it would end up happening in those circumstances, and again, if you look at, for example, uh, the Great Recession and the recovery afterwards, I mean, had you, uh, you know, only invested on October 1st in 2009, you would have gotten absolutely uh, beaten up and then you would have sold out in May when it was recovering. So it's a great, in theory, not great in application thought process. Yeah, and well, I think that's, um, I mean, that's a really great point is that just because something sometimes holds doesn't mean that it always does. In fact, I believe you had actually mentioned this on the call, but when you look at it, it's been more of like flipping a coin as to whether there's been strength or weakness in those time periods. And so certainly stand the risk of leaving a lot on the table. And some of our really strong years lately, a lot of that's come in those months. And so. Well, think about the psychological aspect of it too, Jeremy. I mean, imagine if you, again, allowed a calendar to be the decision maker of what was going on in your investments, and then it stops working for a little while. You're going to beat yourself up like nobody's business and you're going to give up on it. You know, there are lots of ways of managing money. And oftentimes people will you know, play around with some of the technicals or some of the fundamentals of things. And they basically work their way backwards to make something work. And this is kind of like that. And the fact that, you know, yeah, you couldn't work long-term. Sure. You know, historically, again, May, June, July, August, September are the weakest five months of the year, but you can't just ignore them. I mean, there's still opportunity and there's still tremendous opportunity in this current market environment. And then you really are, are risking so much by just ignoring uh, what's going on in the markets for that time period. So uh, again, nice on paper, not really nice in application. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, Jeff. And uh, as we look at some of the headline news um, with this time of year, obviously uh, some of the themes and concepts that we've seen talked about are being recirculated here, probably because there isn't as much activity to uh, talk about at the moment. But the one area that is getting a lot of traction still are the mean stock areas and cryptocurrency areas. And so I wanted to see if you could shed some light, like what what's going on there? What are what are the trading uh, forces that are causing some of those stocks to either crater or to rise to the moon, just depending on which way the tide's going? Yeah, I think you're kind of getting back to, you know, a, a few different things that uh, differentiate a individual investor from an institutional investor. Uh, we can't chase the AMCs and the game stocks of the world and invest in something along those lines with the hope uh, that, somebody will drop a meme or somebody will drop, you know, a whatever to go into those particular stocks. I mean, if you look at, and we obviously had a nice talk with Brett last week uh, talking about cryptocurrency, but if you look at the two top uh, cryptocurrencies being Bitcoin and Ethereum, I mean, both have dropped 50% in value in the last month. You know, how do you manage money and manage risk uh, when you have uh, something like that going on, you, you just simply can't. I mean, you and I were talking a little bit offline about AMC and, G, uh, and GameStock. Uh, it's just not ready to throw out the symbol for it, GME, but GameStock. I mean, GameStock was a very viable company a while ago. Um, it is now trading, uh, you know, almost at all-time new highs. The company, you know, before um gaming went more 
uh, cloud-based uh, in their downloads, kind of cutting out the middleman being a GameStop. Um, it's high, it's all-time highs. We're in the $60 range and it's trading five times greater than that right now, basically because of what's going on with, with kind of these crowd buyers and sellers and what's going on there is you're really looking at um, kind of a scary thing, which is you got people pushing up a price and in, in a company like GameStop over $300 a share. And it's a company that is uh, losing $3.33 per year, um, has a negative PE ratio as a result of that, has even a worse forward PE ratio, which means that things are going to get worse before they get better. And you look at other fundamentals, it's just some, something as simple as like a return on equity, which right now is negative 40%. So while they're making money, I mean, they're bringing in money through revenue, they're losing 40 cents on every dollar that they're bringing in. So why would you ever want to invest in something like that? And yet the stock is being pushed to all-time highs. You know, we were laughing about how much AMC has run up just in the last few weeks. I mean, this was a $10 stock in, in mid-May. It's now a $51 stock. Uh, you know, it ran even higher intraday, as high as $72 a share. Uh, and is now trading at 51. So again, when you're doing these kind of crowd uh, sourced, if you can call it that, uh, investing, all of a sudden you're in a situation where they're pushing prices up and down uh, and it just becomes a game of musical chairs as we've discussed. So had you been the last one in Bitcoin, well, you're down 50%. Had you bought AMC at $72 a share, well, it's trading at 51 and falling like a stone right now. Uh, people, you know, are not going back into the movie theaters the way that they were. And oh, by the way, at its very best, going back years, going back to 2016, it was a $35 stock. Are more people going to the movies today than they were five years ago? No, they're not. We're still dealing with a worldwide pandemic. People have found streaming video. They found lots of other ways of entertaining themselves rather than going to a movie theater you've got a price of the stock that's just absolutely raging for no other reason than just simple sentiment. People are pushing the price of a stock of a company you know, that you know, has a smaller volume typically, meaning that the number of outstanding shares that they have uh, allows for to be kind of pushed around a little bit. You know, so you've got a company here uh, that again has gone up fivefold in the last month. I mean, it's complete price manipulation. And for me personally, there's no way in the world that you can predict the direction. Uh, it's simply gambling. Yeah, Jeff, well, thank you for the context surrounding that because that's something that we do get a lot of questions on um, is why is that happening? And so understanding that it's sentiment driven and the fact that these are smaller companies, <clears throat> excuse me, with lower uh, li uh, liquid uh amounts in the market means that they can much more be manipulated than some of the big blue chip type stocks that we typically talk about. Um, in that, you talked about sentiment uh, being really the driving force. And at Polaris, we talk a lot about the four pillars of investing that we use. Can you talk about what are the four pillars and what do we use then when we uh, base a buy or sell decision within a portfolio? Well, we, we did hit on one of the pillars, which is, which is sentiment. We can't ignore uh, the overall uh, thoughts of, of people in the markets or not. Uh, we've seen 
uh, wider spread fear drive markets in days past, and you end up getting your confirmation of sentiment typically through uh, technical research. Um, we believe in fundamentals as well as macroeconomics, though. Those are the other uh, two pillars beyond that. So really, we're talking about looking at some uh, the overall markets and look at the, the fundamentals of them, look at you know sectors by sector, company by company, what fundamentally is driving a market. Uh, we then want to go into looking at the technicals to to make sure that they're supporting it, that the macroeconomics are supporting it as well, uh, and sentiment. So, I mean, if for example, the macroeconomics, the the reason why that's so important is determining recessions. So we are less concerned about the ma uh, the microeconomics and much more concerned about macro because that's going to allow us to see is the economy growing or is it shrinking. You know, if you're looking at a, an economy where things are shrinking, it's pretty hard to argue that if the economy is shrinking, that the average company out there is going to do better. Statistically, it can't. Uh, so we want to be looking at really all of them and getting an overall viewpoint uh, to the understanding of what should be uh, pushing a market either up or down, rather than it being purely sentiment driven, where it's, uh, you know, you're either uh, looking at it, uh, you're looking at just one very myopic part of the marketplace. Yeah, Owen, oh, as you described that, Jeff, a saying that comes to mind is being successful on purpose. So that's something that um, that's often thrown around. And as you described the four pillars of investing, I mean, that's exactly what Polaris is doing, right? We're using statistical methods to be successful on purpose. And not that everything works out perfectly, but we're using the math to help us increase our likelihood of success. Well, one of the things that I, I, I kind of used to fight back on when I, I used to hear it earlier in my career that people would talk about, you know, investing is like gambling. And for most people, it is. Uh, so if you go to play blackjack and you don't understand what the odds are of the table and you're randomly throwing money down on the table, then you are doing exactly that. You're gambling. If you start counting the cards and you start understanding what the statistical probabilities are, then you could put more money on the hands that have the higher probability of making money and less money uh, or even walking away when the odds get really bad, then you're, you're, you're using math, like you said, and that uh, dramatically increases. There's a reason why Wall, uh, that uh, Las Vegas and uh, you know, the, the big gambler, uh, gambling institutions don't allow for you to count cards because they want those odds in their own favor. Well, by taking this four pillar approach, it really stacks the odds in our favor to understand you know, when the odds are in our favor, when they're not. And that's one of the things that helps us move from uh, more aggressive stocks to more defensive at times or vice versa. It's what helps us understand when to go to cash uh, in our unconstrained strategies, uh, You know, when the odds are at a point where we want to take our marbles and go home when the odds are in our favor. So. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jeremy. I mean, it's it's a, a big thing to kind of continue to hit on. Yeah, and and Jeff, on this note, I'm realizing that there may be some listeners that perhaps got lucky with uh, with some of these, and they happened to get in early, and it went in their favor. And this is where we talked about this uh, a little bit last week, or perhaps it was the week prior to that. But if you are one of those that have a portfolio that you know was very short-term driven, maybe you had some successes, maybe not. But this is where you would benefit from a second opinion on figuring out, okay, where do I go from now? 
how do I build a portfolio that is not just going to ride the latest wave, which may or may not crash on me, but how do I build something that's going to build wealth for myself or future generations or whatever the goal may be. And so we stand by ready to do that with you and to really have a, uh, a strong second opinion of not only what you have and what's working, but more importantly, how we can continue to position it for the uh, trends that are happening in the market to help uh, maximize your likelihood of uh, achieving the goals that you've set. I would actually take it one step further, Jeremy. And, and you know what you're also talking about. You know, if you if you did get into something, you know, be it a cryptocurrency or or one of these, you know, on again, off again. Uh, meme stocks that we're talking about here. That's great. You know, sometimes we talk about it's better to be lucky than good. Um, it's fantastic that you've made this money. What's your sell discipline? You know, what makes you to make a decision on when to get out? You know, anybody can buy a stock. You know, my 14 year old son can uh, choose to buy a stock. When do you get out? And it's not until you've actually harvested uh, what you've planted that you actually reap what you sow so to speak and so that you've really got to make a decision on what to do with that that is where the evaluation comes in place um and you know one of the other you know bigger pieces of advice to throw out is based upon where the company is right now would you buy it are you a buyer because if you're not a buyer you should be a seller and so knowing what you know right now knowing what has gone on with the company be it good or bad uh would you be a buyer and so oftentimes we look at that more on the downside, but you can also look at it on the upside. When something, when valuations get you know, nosebleed levels, would you be buying a stock right now? And oftentimes people get all worked up about uh, the potential tax ramification and other things that might come into play, but having a tax ramification is much better than losing that tax ramification, no longer having it. You can work on offsetting gains and losses uh, towards the end of the year, but um, again, if you own a company like an AMC and you've seen the stock price rage the way that it has, at what point do you want to get out and you know, at what risk do you take that the stock might return back down to 10? You know, how silly would you feel if you bought it at 10 thinking, oh, well, things are starting to open up again. Maybe you know, people will start going back to movies and all of a sudden you get caught up in this wave of people that are driving the stock price up for other reasons. Okay, great. You got a five-fold return in your, in your investment. What do you think is going to happen from here? Where do you think it's going to go from here? So it's those types of things that, again, you know, being disciplined, understanding what's going on, being you know, as clinical as possible is absolutely vital to having strong returns. Yeah, well, great advice and uh, something that uh, we definitely stand by ready to help anyone that uh, would like to reach out. Jeff, can you remind us how people can uh, connect with someone at Polaris if they're interested in taking us up on the second opinion? Yeah, I mean, uh, easiest way to do it, uh, if you go to our website, you can sit there and uh, uh, very easily find uh, how to connect with us. So uh, go to uh, polariswealth.com. Uh, on there, you will see that there is uh, buttons to schedule no cost, no obligation um, uh, evaluation. Uh, just fill out the form real quick and uh, send it off. We will collect it and be in touch with you. Uh, if you already are a Polaris uh, Wealth client, uh, you can simply just reach out to either the Wealth Advisor or the Sales Director that you're working with and ask them to uh, evaluate 
uh, the investments that you have away from us. So either way is a, a pretty straightforward and pretty quick way of, of being able to handle that. Perfect. Well, as always, Jeff, thank you so much for your thoughts and insights. Uh, really appreciate you sharing with us not only what's happening today in the market, but more importantly, how we can look at this a bit more scientifically to uh, make smarter investment decisions. Of course. My pleasure. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for your time. And as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.